This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Vinny Merchandani, author of SAP Nation 3.0. It's kind of fascinating to look at the 10 years. You know, yeah. how much optimism there was around SaaS in the in the beginning of the decade, how SaaS has done, you know, where things have not improved. If you go back to Mark Andreessen, he wrote yeah. a column for the Wall Street Journal early in the decade where he said, we have enough technology, we have enough, you know, we have enough where software can transform industries. Software, he basically said, software is going to eat the world. Over and over again, what I saw was many new markets emerged or grew or transformed, but the software vendors either completely missed it or they were at the edge of it and didn't really do much. To get into other categories, you know, you have to keep evolving. You can't just expect your licenses and subscriptions to keep helping you grow, right? If you define your market too narrowly, then you start looking at your competition very narrowly and you miss the big markets around it. This is Vinny. He's the founder of Deal Architect, a technology strategy and negotiation firm listed as the leading boutique by the Black Book of Outsourcing. Vinny also founded IQ for Hire, a project marketplace, and Jetstream Group, a sourcing advisory firm. Earlier in his career, he had various technology consulting roles at PwC in the US, Europe, and Asia, and he also worked as an industry analyst at Gartner. He wrote various books about the evolution and future of enterprise software, amongst which Silicon Collar, New Polymath, The New Technology Elite, and SAP Nation 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Other than that, he's an inspiring blogger. And exactly that triggered me to invite him again to my podcast. We explore his blog, a decade-end review, enterprise applications have not eaten the world. And therefore we dig deeper into the question, what can we learn from the past decade? And how should we use that knowledge to capitalize on it in the next decade? By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, revisit the concept of addressable markets. Is it really what you think it is? Or is it actually holding you back from thinking bigger? Secondly, don't only hire technology visionaries. Start hiring functional visionaries as well. It's the tension between the two that will help you break new grounds. Thirdly, the biggest opportunity in the next few years will be in verticals, 
operational areas and in geographic expansion. After 20 years of cloud applications, it is amazing how many industries and countries have yet so little choice. And fourthly, stop looking at just your immediate competition. The biggest risk, but also the biggest growth, come out from left field. Vinny, thank you very much for being on my podcast again. This is the third time, beginning of my podcast series. I think it was number five or six. And then halfway was beginning of 2019. And then just before the year ends again. And the reason that uh, at the end that we are talking today is, is your blog, which I, I liked and I thought it would be a good one to, to do a podcast on and to have a little bit of a review. You wrote a blog called The Dead End Review. Sorry, The Decade End Review. <laughs> the Decade <laughs> End Review. Enterprise applications have not eaten the world. And that triggered me. Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's not the dead end. Oh, um, exactly. There was a spelling for my end. <laughs> but, you know, as I was looking at the year, I said, hey, look, it's the end of the decade. Why don't I go back and take a look at exactly. all the stuff that I've written? You know, I have two blogs, seven books I've written, all the advisory work I've done. Let me just, I don't, I didn't, for a change, December did not have much travel. So I had a chance to, you know, go back and read some of my stuff. And it's kind of fascinating to look at the 10 years, you know, yeah. how much optimism there was around SaaS in the, in the beginning of the decade, how SaaS has done, you know, where things have not improved. It's kind of nice to just go through and look at everything. And, you know, so that's, that's how the blog came about. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, looking at a decade of evolution, and particularly in the business software space, a lot has happened. And on the other hand, your title also sort of reveals already that a lot has not happened. So if you would make, like, if you look at, at one particular thing, what struck you most? What were you most surprised with or what was sort of itching the most? What is that yeah. one thing? You know, so Don, we, we, we tend to hang around with executives from the big software companies, right? Yeah. And when, you, when you're with them, obviously they talk about how well they've done from a Wall Street perspective. 30, 40% growth a year. And it's impressive, right? So, and they're working really hard. They're running really hard. But then you step back and you go, wow, when I look at SAP, when I look at Salesforce, when I look at Workday, especially the last two or the SaaS vendors, they've gone from zero to 4 billion, 10 billion. It's pretty impressive. True. But then you step back and you look at the IDC numbers for the total market and you go, wow, they didn't hardly do anything because, you know, IDC's numbers show over $4 trillion in spend across all of IT and communications, right? Uh And so you look at it and you go, as impressive as they were, they really didn't do much. You know, if you go back to Mark Andreessen, he wrote a column for the Wall Street Journal early in the decade where he said, we have enough technology, we have enough, you know, we have enough where software can transform industries software he basically said software is going to eat the world yeah true. and you know when i step back and i said compared it to the idc numbers when i look at the legacy vendors and i look at how little of their on-premise customers have moved to the cloud Correct. when i look at industry coverage how little has happened i actually felt like the industry has been disappointing under delivered you know when you look at all the 
major macro metrics. We have so much more to go. that I think the decade, I would call it a disappointment. Has it maybe got to do with the fact that there, in the, in, in the last 10 years, there have possibly been areas added to the, to the space that have, that have grown faster than the traditional spaces, like, for example, enterprise research planning or no, CRM? No question. no question. No question. That's where the big... Actually, the biggest... If you look at the biggest growth, it's been in digital advertising, right? So Google and yeah. Facebook, Amazon, they're on, I don't know, $150 billion a year run rate. But not, that's CRM, right? That's digital advertising is CRM. But none of the CRM vendors got any of that. Some of the digital agencies did okay around that. Accenture's mm-hmm. done, a lot of the agencies have done well. But the software vendors that we know, Salesforce, ServiceNow, SAP, Oracle, hardly made any of that revenue, right? So that's one big market that the software vendors completely missed. If you look at the whole product engineering space, right? Every industry has made their product smarter, right? So cars have become smarter, software and sensors, everything. You know, everything in our house is a smart product. So look at what transformed those industries. It was contract manufacturing. It was design firms like IDEO and Frog and so on that did it. None of the cat cam companies, none of the EP companies really made much out of that market. Let me make a small interruption here. Vinit just made an excellent remark about the new markets that have been created in the past decade and how many established software vendors have completely missed that. This is about understanding what business you are really in. This is about creating a culture of curiosity. This is about avoiding complacency inside your software business. All trades that define remarkable software companies. But this is something you can master as well. So if you want to know where to put your focus to close the gap on each of the 10 traits of a remarkable software company, simply do the test. You can find it on valueinspiration.com slash remarkable index. Back to the interview. If you look at the IoT market, the asset maintenance and all that, you would have thought that's somewhere something that ERP vendors could have done quite a bit on because asset management has been one of their focus areas. But the real money was made by GE and ABB and Rockwell Automation and so on, right? So over and over again, what I saw was many new markets emerged or grew or transformed, but the software vendors either completely missed it or they were at the edge of it and didn't really do much. Yeah. So why do you think that is happening? I mean, I got my own perspective on it just give me uh, give me your feedback has this possibly got to do with the fact that all of these vendors are too much I mean, the definition of what business they are in is not clear enough i mean a lot of them are thinking they are in the crm business or in the erp business or in the hcm business i would say it's Tan, i would say it's two things you know one is when you present to wall street wall street has comparables you got to be careful not to confuse Wall Street and say, I'm going into new market or I'm going to this category. And it just confuses your message. So that's yeah. one thing kept them from almost being too focused. You know, they've become too, too focused. Yeah, but I mean, what I'm thinking at the end here is, I mean, if you think that you are in the ERP industry, that's one, that's one angle of it. And then, of course, then, and you say that you're going to make change, then everybody's going to be upset and, and start to kind of raise all kind of red flags. 
the moment you're in the business of growing customer experience and growing customer satisfaction, the outcomes of, of what you're actually delivering, then mean, for example, a CRM could be the logical vehicle up to now, but then you can also go to the left and to the right if that market is shifting. You know, so that's, that's a good point. But, but you look at the business model change that SaaS vendors made, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that was a major innovation, major risk they took, and they've done pretty well at that. So to get into other categories, True. you know, you have to keep evolving. Right? You can't just expect your licenses and subscriptions to keep helping you grow, right? So getting into digital advertising would have meant a very different model, right? Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a 200 billion market a year that they missed. I think the other thing is, Tan, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, you, you know what addressable market is. You know what competitive intelligence is, right? And I find those two groups quite often are their own worst enemies because they define the market very tightly, yeah. right? And then the competitive intelligence tends to only look at four, five, six, maybe 10 of the companies that are in that category. You know, so both of them tend to be very narrowly defined. And you know, so SAP's total addressable market, I, I, in the blog, I have three, three charts. SAP's presented maybe $300 billion as their addressable market. Yeah. Salesforce says their addressable market is about $140 billion. And Workday says their addressable market is about $80 billion or so, right? Yeah. You look at that and you go, in a way, that's, hey, my God, that is impressive because, you know, Workday is barely scratching even though they're $80 billion. I mean, they've only gotten a fraction of it. Mm -hmm. But then you look sure. at it and you go, you know, certainly at SAP's level, I've told them, I said, your addressable market should be a trillion dollars. You have to push yourself to think bigger, right? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, that'll distract us too much. See, I understand, but if you, if you define your market too narrowly, then you start looking at your competition very narrowly and you miss the big markets around it. So well, that's, that's also what I, what I was talking about, that, that you think it's like rethinking what business are you really in. And yeah, and if you think that you're only in that particular area that you've always been doing, the history tells you that, then yeah, then you don't get out of that because that market is is not bigger than it is. I mean, we're not going to say at some point in time that the enterprise resource planning market is doubling uh, suddenly. It's not happening. It's moving. It's moving technology-wise slowly, but that doesn't make it bigger. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Is it maybe also because of the, the heritage that all these vendors have, that, that moving, has, the moving has not gone as fast as, as it could be? For <laughs> example, yeah, these big stacks of on-premise software. You know, that's a big responsibility. And a I, th I, th I, think it's, I think it's to do with a little bit of the type of executives that they bring in, right? Mm -hmm. So okay. if you look at the last 10, 15 years, the industry has had some really, really brilliant technical architects. Right? Parker Harris at Salesforce, yeah. Dan Sweet at Workday, Soma at Infor, SAP has had a couple of, I mean, Hasso is an amazing architect. Larry is a brilliant architect, right? Thomas at Oracle was a brilliant technology visionary. But then you step back and you go, where are the functional visionaries, right? Who is help the, helping them rethink? Like, who had Amazon have rethink how to build a new next generation fulfillment center, 
They didn't go get a warehouse architect from 20 years ago. They completely rethought what a warehouse should look like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Reba, Kiva robots and random storage concepts and all that. Completely rethought, right? So yeah. I, th- I find in the, in the enterprise space that functional visionaries have been missing. So what we've had is these technology visionaries have delivered every wave of mobile, artificial intelligence, multi-tenancy. They've been all excited about it. They've delivered pretty good results. Not everyone, but most of them have. But when it comes to functional growth, completely missing, completely missing. And, you know, so you ask the question, why does Jeff Bezos go find those people? And why does Larry not find that? Why does Hatha not find that, right? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. But, it but, is, but it what, is, what is the, the recommendation here? Is... I would have a functional visionary in the executive suite, just like I have a CTO, almost a yeah, chief yeah. process officer or a chief verticals officer or something. You know, mm-hmm. that, that way you have kind of a tension between the CTO and the vertical officer to say, okay, let's take, okay, we know blockchain is emerging. How can we verticalize that and then take an application that is relevant to your customer base, not just talk about blockchain in general? Yeah, I don't think that enough of that has happened in the last decade. Fair comment. Absolutely. Yeah, it starts yeah, again. Like what, what, is the, what is the problem that you are that you're solving? And that problem is evolving. Because, I mean, when I look at for these, these enterprise vendors, we're still talking about problems that were, well, we're talking about solving things that we've been solving for many, many years now. But yeah, the world has also moved on. The customers that we are serving have different challenges these days and yeah, require know, a different way of looking have, at it. You should have, the visionary should be looking at how are jobs evolving, right? So how is the shop floor yeah. worker going to evolve over the next 10 years? What variables is he going to need? What, how will robots work next to him and so on? And then that should be driving changes to process. What will the retail store of the future look like? And how will that affect processes? How will the hospital operating room look like in the next five years, right? I don't, I don't see enough of that thinking from software vendors. And I see that from Amazon. I see that from FedEx. FedEx I see that from, you know, a lot of companies. From and companies, go, why, yeah. Why does it not happen in the software industry? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So if you look at, yeah, I mean, go, go, kind of the, the insights from your blog are, uh, are inspiring. If you reflect on that, what should never have happened, like in, in hindsight, in the last 10 years? Well, I mean, <laughs> that would be a very negative comment to say nothing happened, right? I think the no, industry, no, no, no. What, what should never have happened? I mean, the things that happened, but shouldn't have happened. I would say some of the resurgence of the systems integrators, kind of sell, you know, like you say, the... the the processes didn't really evolve, but I've seen yeah, some yeah. of the triggers sell them and say, this is a great platform for digital transformation. It is and it isn't, right? I mean, unless you can deliver business process value and payback, you know, that's one thing I wish hadn't happened as much. I think, you know, some of the SaaS vendors in terms of economics have started to behave like the on-premise vendors, you know, so there's a little bit of lock-in and they're trying to start yeah, to yeah. take customers. That I wish hadn't happened. Yeah. But I think overall, I think a lot of positive things happened. I mean, the SaaS True. model. Correct. Model has Especially at the end, of course, at the end of a decade, you can always look back and say, wait a minute, what, what can we learn from this? 
So, but kind of turning it around, what should we absolutely keep doing in the next decade from the things that we are doing right now? I think the SaaS model has been phenomenal, you know, by delivering multi-tenancy and shared services across so many customers, allowing upgrades to become automated, allowing application management, at least parts of it to become automated, absolutely phenomenal. We yeah. shouldn't lose those disciplines. Okay. I'm worried that, you know, SAP, for example, is doing a lot of encouraging a lot of customers to do private cloud and so on. You know, yeah. five years from now, not having multi-tenancy is going to hurt them. And we'll find that they won't have enough data in the cloud to do cross-customer machine learning and so on. True. So, you know, I think, I think multi-tenancy has been a phenomenal evolution in the last decade. And we should keep, we should definitely carry that forward. Yeah. Not just from an economic perspective, but also, you know, I mean, when you have that much data voluntarily collected in the cloud, you can yeah. you can ask for, you know, you can ask for permissions to use that that data for machine learning a lot better than going to one yeah. on-premise customer after another and saying, hey, can I get your data? You know, so I think that has been a very positive development in the last decade. Yeah, there should be uh, there, there should be more kind of innovation starting and rethinking starting with data in mind rather than process in mind. I completely agree with that. Are there any things we should do different? I mean, your blog has a couple of examples already, but what would be the one thing that you say, wait a minute, we should, we've tried it, didn't really work, rethink this? I think, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the functional footprint, I think the industry coverage and the geographical coverage, very, very disappointing, especially the industry coverage, right? I mean, after 20 years, you think, you know, trying to sell just accounting and HCM and CRM is not enough. I mean, that's just 10% of the enterprise. Yeah. So I've been, I've been disappointed in the industry. So, you know, we need, to, we need to accelerate the industry operational systems evolution and, you know, not just take last generation MRP or last generation merchandising, but, you know, bring it to the 21st century. Bring it to the 2020s, right? Yeah. You know, so if you're in retail, start delivering last mile delivery capability. If you're in utilities, start delivering net metering capabilities. Don't just bring forward what was developed 10, 15 years ago. So that's one big thing. The other thing is geography. You know, I'm starting to see, like, you know, if you're a multinational, you know, you move manufacturing around the world quite often. As middle classes grow, you know, you want to be in Indonesia one year, you want to be in Slovakia next year, you want to be in, you know, Brazil next year. It's amazing how little choice they have to be able to do that when it comes to software. Or when you look at small businesses or even, you know, billion, two, three billion dollar companies from each of these countries, they don't have much choice. They don't have much choice. And, you know, you go, are these guys just so happy just being in the U.S. and some European countries? What is, you know, why, why aren't we thinking more globally? Because their customers are thinking globally. Why are software companies not thinking more globally? Yeah. That's been a, another area for improvement. Yeah, I think it all has to do from the internal perspective with uh, the business case. So certain markets are big and you go for that first and then yeah, the rest just come in second place. But I agree with you. There's, uh, there's a lot still to do. So this is where I wonder where the investors, where the board of directors are coming in. Because everybody seems to be going after the same markets, functionally, yeah. geographic-wise. And you go, why aren't they 
telling the R&D group, stop, stop, stop. Let's go look after the look at the white spaces. Because yes, yeah, it's more risky, it's more risky, but it's wide open, and we'll have less yeah. competition. Yeah, exactly. Now you gave a couple of good examples in your blog. The greatly fragmented market, also opportunities on the edges and at the junctions. Examples of Soho. Oh, you know, yeah. So sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder if the leadership, the boards themselves, are not that diverse, and that could be an issue. Yeah, that's indeed. Yeah, exactly. Diversity really works, but also like diversity outside of your company. Bring that in. Kind of work with people that that don't kind of deal with the stuff that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis because you simply don't see, you don't see it anymore at some point in time. That's com- the argument I mean, of complacency is, uh, is a big one. You know, someone like Leo, right? One of the most global executives that I've met. I wonder if yeah. he tried to tune it for, look, let's look at different markets. I don't know if he did or if he did, whether they listened to him, right? So I don't yeah. want to pick up one particular example, but he is, he's such a global guy. I'm surprised he didn't. Yeah, that's true, yeah. No, I mean, from what I've seen is that the Unit 4 is still focused, maybe even more focused on the markets they were always strong at, and that's, that's where the opportunity needs to come from. So that didn't come in as a sidestep. It was more f- kind of focusing on, um, on what works rather than kind of trying anything new. And, you know, John, look, step back, and a lot of these executives will tell me, look, when you're going 30 40%, it's hard enough. Why do yeah. you expect to grow 60 70 100%? And I go, because the opportunity is there. It won't be there. Yeah, Yeah, maybe that's also an issue at the end in terms of how things are planned. You know, typically, I mean, the the new year is now coming. And like every new year, the opportunity is typically, okay, well, we grew 34% this year. Let's let's do at least the same and let's let's be bold. Let's make it 40%, but not 400. And I think if, I mean, it it takes, like, I mean, you you, you were talking about the technical architects and the, the functional leads, but it's also the... The people that, that think big that then start to bring in new type of thinking because the moment you, you, you give your management team the, the, well, the opportunity but also the challenge to do something radically big, you have to kind of say goodbye for the things that you've been doing so far. And, and, and even if it doesn't bring anything new, you still have tried. And on a, you know, I mean, look, we, we know that if you're going to accelerate growth, it typically requires a lot of capex. Right, either sure. more R&D yeah. or new new offices, new sales forces, and so on. And going to Wall Street with that message is never popular, you know. <laughs> but then, but then, you know, I've seen Wall Street though in the last six months penalize companies that are not growing quick enough. So I don't think it's coming from Wall Street. If you go to Wall Street and say I'm going to accelerate growth and this is what I need, I yeah. think they are more open to that more open to that concept. Yeah, but I think also the, the argument of, of working and trying to please the shareholders is, is sort of limiting growth from the outset because the moment you, you, you focus on the customer first and create, create products that, that create difference for a customer, that growth will come by itself. I mean, no one is then going to stop you to say, I want to buy this product and I only want to grow let you grow 20 or 30 or 40%, you know? That's, I think, what we need in enterprise software, something where, really, where, where companies are standing in line, so to say, to, to be able to be part of it. And that goes back to your functional and industry visionaries combining with the technical architects. Together, that's going to be magic. Tom, again, look, I don't want to sound very critical and very negative. Mm-hmm. I just see all the opportunity. And you know, either if this 
if the leaders now in the software industry don't want to do it, I think I'm just surprised there aren't more from the outside that are coming in. That's surprising indeed. But there are a couple of them that are coming. It's just waiting for that to, to scale out. So, I mean, you've been talking a circle around all the things that have happened in the last decades. And people can also read your blog to get, to get more detail on that. What, would you, what is the single recommendation you would give leaders in the, in the enterprise software space to start doing in the new year? You know, I think, I think we've touched on some of them. Consider bringing in a functional, not just one, several functional visionaries, right? Now, you know, that, of course, it can't be arbitrary. You've got to go through and say what new industries, what new processes, what new geographies I'm going to target, right? So I would say start with redefine your addressable market, redefine your competitive intelligence circle, right? Challenge them. And then once you've challenged them and you've grown that by, say, 20%, 30%, 50%, whatever, then start hiring more functional, functional visionaries or process visionaries. You know, that, those are two things I would definitely... I see too much of this every year, every year that are one or two technology concepts that they get all excited about. It's blockchain, it is quantum computing, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, that, those broad trends seem to get a lot of attention, but the, the, you know, growing the footprint, getting new customers, driving, you know, what you're going to focus on doesn't seem to happen as much. True. So it's, it's waiting for, the, for that, to, that to be picked up. Because indeed, I agree with you, there's plenty of opportunity for that. With all the technology available well, these days. One thing we didn't touch on, Tan, is you know, a lot of the application vendors will say, well, my partners are going to help me with the growth here or growth there. But then I never see that followed through. Or some of them will say, I'm expecting my platform ISVs to do that. But the platform ISVs tend to be such underfunded small players that they never seem to be able to deliver anything, not anything, but most of them cannot deliver substantial new functionality. So I think that's the other thing I would, I would tell executives is to take a hard look at. You know, before you go out and promise your customers and your analyst audience that, hey, look, my partner is going to do this or my ISVs are going to do this, take a hard look at your track record over the last five, six years. Yeah, good point, good point. You know, because I, I, look at, I look at SAP's had God knows how many platforms in the last 10 years, right? The mobile yeah. platform, then a HANA-based platform. Now they have a cloud platform. How come, you know, they haven't generated 20, 30, 50 IPOs out of that? Right? You would think, given how big SAP is, yeah. they would have been at least 20 to 50, 500 million, billion dollar ISVs that have emerged from that, right? The fact that yeah. they haven't had that should be, a, should be a huge warning signal. Something is not happening in our platform, hmm. you know, in the Salesforce ecosystem on, the, on their platform. Viva has done well. A couple of them have done well. But, you know, after 10 years, you think there'd be a lot more, right? Yeah, that's so right. I, th- yeah. I think platforms need to, vendors need to take a hard look at how come we're not getting more liquidity and vibrancy in our platforms. And then, you know, when you have systems integrated partners who you expect to deliver industry models, industry best practices, whatever, 
show that that is making progress. Don't just announce it and then have it disappear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and innovate that as well. Get away from the bodies, kind of, kind of leverage the knowledge. Well, and so, you know, I mean, SAP in the early 2000s had a couple of them. Accenture helped them with the utilities, yeah. oil and gas. Accenture helped them with oil and gas. A couple of others helped them with their industry solutions. So that can be done. I just did the current wave of cloud solutions. I haven't seen it. Well, it's, gonna, it's going to bring some, some new areas for growth. Absolutely. I mean, you would, you've just, just been talking about a number of examples, and I could, I could add five or ten more possibly. <laughs> but I think the next decade is going to, to bring a lot, and it's going to look completely different from the last ten years, where things have a lot been about maturing. And I think the, the next decade is going to be about scaling that and really showing showing the world what is possible. It is, and I think you will see more, you know, like, like you and I have talked about, you'll see new entrants who will come into industry yeah. focus and so on, which hasn't happened as much in the last decade. That's true. I actually think geography is going to be a big battleground. Yeah. Because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, even in Europe, if you look at the markets that have, countries that have grown significantly, right? Eastern European, Southern Europe, and so on. They don't have much choice in software, right? And then when you go to Asia, God, there are so many countries that have done well. They really yeah, don't have true. much choice. Yeah. yeah, it's really divided by area almost. A couple of vendors go all, over, go all the way, but then by area you see the, the, the clusters. Very well. It was interesting kind of reviewing the decade with you, Vinny. Well, hopefully, hopefully I, it comes across balance. You know, I, I've been... I've been very pleased with some of the progress. Just, yeah. just as I look at the whole decade and I go, in 10 years, we should have grown more in this area and this area and this area. Yeah, well, we can all say it, you know, and I hope for. Things are evolving as well. But I think if you look back at uh, the last 10 decades, last 10 years, there we go, even decade again. Lot of, uh, lot of, you know, a lot I mean, of progress. A lot of progress. You look at Mark Benioff, you look at Anita yeah. Virtually. I yeah. mean, you know, there's some, there's some executives that have just done a phenomenal job, right? I'm a Bill McDermott. He, you know, in 10 years, he took SAP to a completely new level. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's been a lot of good work. Exactly. And more, more work to be done. So it's not over yet. So to kind of the end of your title, a decade end review, enterprise applications have not eaten the world. Well, let's see what happens in 2020 and moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, to, thank you, Vinny, for your time. Thank you, Don, again. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. It was a, it was a pleasure talking to you and always good to, uh, to reflect on these type of things and see what we can learn from this. So this was really helpful to me. Great. Thank you. Likewise. And I hope my audience enjoyed it as much as I did. Talking about that, for those that are listening, please share what your thoughts are about this episode. And if you like it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that... Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Vinny Merchandani, author of SAP Nation 3.0. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be. 
to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations. And lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.